Hello and welcome to Meandering with Myrn, a potpourri of podcast by me, veterinary ethologist Myrna Milani. Join me as I ponder any and all things animal and human, what we know and what we don't, where we've been, where we are, and where we're headed. A recent period of disenchantment with my usual idea sources for my podcasts led to a search for some new ones. Via a circuitous path that I couldn't recreate if my life depended on it, I landed on a website with content created by a collection of Western U.S. science writers. Its name embodies the core of science, the last word on nothing. Below it was the Victor Hugo quote that inspired the site's name. Science says the first word on everything and the last word on nothing. Just reading Hugo's name caused flashbacks to reading Les Miserables and The Hunchback of Notre Dame in high school French class. But my more deeply entrenched background in science instantly overrode them. I pondered the quote, Science says the first word on everything and the last word on nothing. This deceptively simple statement explains why so many in our society seem to have difficulty comprehending science-based information. They don't care about first words. All they want to know is the last one, the bottom line, the answer that will explain everything, how the story ends, how long till we'll have a cure for COVID-19, when will a safe vaccine become available, how soon will my dog stop attacking other dogs or people, when will the cat stop peeing on my bed, They read the words, science as the first word on everything and the last word on nothing, and they just don't get it. While some do want to understand, others can't be bothered. What science gradually might reveal about the planet, its climate, land and water, the wild and domestic life forms it populated, the universe that surrounds it, mean nothing to them. I wound up on the last word on nothing site when I followed a link to an article written by Ben Goldfarb entitled, A Space Elk Named Monique. Seriously, how could anyone with an interest in animals not read such an article? I'm old enough to remember the media reports about Monique. But like many reports, they were fluff compared to the articles in the hardcore veterinary journals that comprised the bulk of my reading material at that time. Consequently, I recalled little about her. Goldfarb's reader-friendly article filled those gaps. And like any good science-based article, It presents Monique's star-crossed hookup with Nimbus the satellite in two contexts. One was a specific one in which the event took place, the one the media reported. The other, much more complex context, 
raise the difficult questions that all who study all life forms must or should seek to answer on a daily basis. Not only the technical questions raised by sometimes iffy technology, but also societies and their own ethical questions raised by their human presence in a wildlife habitat, let alone their interfering with the lives of those living in it, even in the most benign ways. Because, as all those who grasp the core of science know, science says the first word on everything and the last word on nothing. At this time when so many want definitive answers, the fact that science, by definition, can't provide that last word doesn't sit well with some people. This occurs because those of us living in a first world society live in an artificial human-made reality characterized by beginnings, middles, and ends, and lots of last words. But science doesn't work like that any more than nature and its inhabitants do. To understand what this means, let's return to Monique. From the first time a satellite successfully transmitted data to Earth, wildlife scientists wondered if and how that technology could be used to track the movement of wild animals. By then, researchers already were concerned about the effects accelerated climate change and habitat destruction were having on animal behavior. But tracking wild animals using the technology available at the time was a long and arduous process that often yielded scanty results. If you couldn't say where the animals were going, you couldn't say anything about what they were doing when they got there, let alone any changes that had occurred in response to climatic or other changes. But back in Monique's day, such monitoring possibilities were just a glimmer in some far-thinking scientists' eyes, specifically the eyes of renowned wildlife scientists John and Frank Craighead. For years, the Craigheads had tracked a herd of 7,000 elk in the National Elk Refuge, using a primitive labor-intensive system that left lots of holes in their data. Meanwhile, those who wanted to exploit wild environments could produce concrete data they said validated the benefits of their approach. They already had charts and graphs demonstrating the income drilling, mining, logging, building theme parks or mega malls would generate and the number of jobs these would create if wild environments were developed. But around the same time, the National Aeronautics and Space Agency, aka NASA, serendipitously was looking for ways to apply their new technology to benefit the environment. Although most people associate NASA with space, They've always been interested in the health of planet Earth, too. 
1969, the Craigheads partnered with NASA to track the movement of elk via satellite. And they began training an elk to wear the large tracking device necessary at that time. Because this was the era of the space race with Russia, the media latched onto the idea of an elk communicating with NASA like a hungry tick latching onto a hound. Ben Goldfarb's comprehensive description of all that went into naming Monique and the amount of symbolism attached to her by the public, thanks to the media, reveals the creation of a unique human-animal bond at a unique time in history. I highly recommend that those with an interest in this subject read this well-researched article. I'd like to say that Monique's story has a happy ending. But like so much involving human-wild-animal interaction in real life, it's more complicated than that. Yes, Monique, or a Monique, proved that satellite tracking could produce more valid data faster that would benefit the species and the environment. And thanks to this first attempt with its glitches, The technology has improved dramatically since then. This, in turn, has enabled scientists to collect more data with less and less animal interference. But Goldfarb also points out something that the media and public often overlook. Because wildlife scientists must share the same wild environments with the animals they study for months or even years, at least periodically, they understand the costs of their work to the animals even when all goes well. They understand this because they know that even if everything goes perfectly, They will end their studies knowing they have so much more to learn. In a world in which so many self-anointed experts believe they are the first and last word on everything, it's comforting to know that there are those researchers in all areas of science with the knowledge and humility to recognize that there always will be things they do not know there always will be more for them to learn. Although Monique heralded the era of remote research into wild animal behavior, she also proved that it was not nearly remote enough to ensure animal welfare and data unbiased by human interference. That awareness led to even more discoveries and amazing new techniques a process that continues today. Would that others in position of authority recognize that, though their administrative or political power may grant them the illusion of omnipotence, their words are not, and never will be, the last word on anything.
You've been listening to a podcast by veterinary ethologist Myrna Milani. For more podcasts, commentaries and books about animal behavior and the human-animal bond, and links to behavior and bond sites, check out my website at www.mmilani.com. For more specific information, feel free to email me at mm at mmilani.com. All rights related to the content of these podcasts are retained by Myrna Milani. The background music, Molly on the Shore by Percy Granger, is used with permission from Katova Arts, www.katova.com.